In December of 2022, the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission announced that, for the first time, it was going to consider health regulations on gas stoves. And there's good reason for that. Public health officials, researchers, and doctors all have been taking note of a growing body of research that links pollution from gas stoves to various respiratory problems. Seems like a reasonable thing to look into, right? But in January, a member of the Consumer Product Safety Commission said in an interview that, quote, products that can't be made safe can be banned. Well, those words stoked quite the flame. Because since then, Republicans and many media outlets have started to act like this means the Biden administration is going to be coming into your home and taking your gas stoves from you. I wanted to understand exactly what's going on with gas stoves and why they've become such a contentious issue. So I reached out to Rebecca Lieber. She's a senior reporter at Vox, where she covers climate change. And she's been reporting about gas stoves since long before they were in the headlines. Her insights in this conversation were super enlightening, so I really encourage you to take a listen. Rebecca, thank you for coming on the Food Futures podcast. Uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about gas stoves right now, and you've actually done a lot of reporting in that area. So we're really excited to get some of your insights on this. Yeah, thanks for having me. So how did you first get interested in researching gas stoves and what was happening there? Yeah, it's a it's a fun story, actually. It was 2020. Um the pandemic, which was not a fun story, was dominating all of the news. This was, I think, back in April, May. And I was just kind of figuring out what, what was new on the climate beat. Um, at a time that, obviously, indoor air quality was very much top of mind. And I got a tip that the gas industry had been hiring social media influencers to promote the gas stove using the hashtag cooking with gas. And even today, if you go on Instagram and put in this hashtag, you can see some of this campaign. And that just led me to a lot of questions. Above all was, why would the gas industry bother paying influencers? (laughs) What was going on here? And why did they think the gas stove was even under attack? Um, So I did a story, this was back at Mother Jones in 2020 on the influencer campaign from the gas industry. And this led me down this path of trying to figure out what was going on in this debate. And over this time, there there was more research coming out showing the public health risks of gas stoves that were, were putting all these pollutants in our apartments and homes, just like we do outdoors and that the indoor air quality issues were hugely underrated. Um, so over time, I've, I've really dug into this. We'll talk about that some more, some of those findings. But um, realizing that the gas stove plays a really interesting role for the gas industry and why it's become such a wedge issue in our battles over climate change and electrification Um, I have a lot more answers now than I did in 2020, and I think this is just an issue that's going to keep growing. So it's really interesting. What you found was there was an influencer marketing campaign for essentially for the fossil fuel industry, for the gas industry. Yeah, so the trade groups that um, basically gas utilities pay into these trade groups that do 
all kinds of things, lobbying. They also do some kind of normal like safety awareness <laughs> and they do lots of PR campaigns too um, on behalf of the industry. So one of these campaigns that was coming from a couple of different gas utility trade groups, one of them being American Gas Association, um, hired, basically had a PR company that hired Instagram influencers to pose with <laughs> the gas stove talking about their natural gas stove and using that hashtag, cooking with gas. Um, so in this story, I found some really uh, kind of humorous examples of um, usually women posing with a spatula <laughs> over their, their stove, um, looking fashionable, <laughs> and talking about how much better it is than any other kind of cooking. Um, and... Fortunately, I also had some insight into the reasoning behind this campaign because there is a PowerPoint from the PR company that was hired about who they were targeting and why, and that they were really trying to target um, some key demographics that are important to the gas industry, like young homeowners, um, certain people in markets where the cities might be considering electrification. And you could see that traced along with this Instagram campaign that they were hiring these kind of mid-tier influencers who were popular in certain demographics and certain zip codes in the country. Um, so this is I'm this was a few years ago. I do um, I know that the industry has also looked at other platforms like TikTok. I have not personally been able to find examples on TikTok, but if anyone sees the sponsored content, I would I would love to take a look at it. So, yeah, I mean, that's fascinating. So I guess the industry knew that it was being threatened by electrification. And something that's interesting is the, the language of natural gas stove to make it sound. I'm assuming the word natural gas is used often to um, make people think that they're using something greener than it might actually be. Yeah, so the very phrase natural gas, where that word natural is in it, which has um, this really fascinating backstory because it was not always called natural gas. Um, yeah, natural implies this, this like clean for you, good for you um, product when it's anything but. Um, so just for a bit of background on where natural gas comes from, some of the earliest references I could find were in the early 19th century, papers referring to this inflammable air and calling it nature's gas because this is gas that was discovered because it would just bubble up in, in rivers and they realized you can light it on fire. <laughs> um, so this idea that it was, was natural really caught on. And I think from the very beginning, there was this idea that this is cleaner than coal, which in a lot of ways it is. Um, but you could see from, from the 19th century papers really talking about this as like, this is, this is clean and natural and good for you. Um, I think in our more modern times, the industry has really capitalized on that advantage of, of just the phrase. They have leaned into it um, in their own marketing and imagery. Honestly, if you live in a city that runs its buses, for example, on natural gas, then I, I have seen this 
throughout Washington, D.C., for example, where I live, there's always imagery of like flowers, of, of <laughs> nature, even though this is a fossil fuel. Um, so what I find fascinating is when people are using their gas stove or other gas appliances, I'm, I think there's this disconnect that they're not realizing all the time that this is a fossil fuel this is one of the ways we're talking about um, one of the things that contributes to climate change. And I think there's this a bit of this disconnect of, of our um, reliance on fossil fuels and whether natural gas really qualifies as a problem. Um, and, and to be clear, it is a problem because natural gas is methane, which is an extremely powerful greenhouse gas pollutant. Um, it when you compare one-to-one -to, -one to coal, maybe slightly less problematic from a carbon dioxide perspective, but methane is certainly worsening our climate crisis. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. So methane gas, which these gas stoves rely on, is a pollutant, right? And it is harming our, our planet. And my understanding is that it's also harming our bodies by being so close in our homes. Is that true? Yeah, so methane is a greenhouse gas, but it also contributes to air pollution. So methane itself also contributes to smog. Um, this is something that we know happens outdoors. <laughs> so um, while indoors it gets a little more complicated, we know that gas from the stove is contributing to worse air quality outdoors. Um, indoors, the pollutant that I... Um, have seen the most research on is nitrogen dioxide, which is a byproduct from burning methane. And nitrogen dioxide, we know, is bad for the lungs, and it's probably bad for your brain and heart too, but we know for a fact that it can cause respiratory problems. Um, it's been linked to asthma and asthma symptoms. So um, there was a recent study that is a bit controversial, but it linked gas stoves to a particular level, almost 13% of U.S. childhood asthma. Um, there are, there's plenty of research that supports that there is a strong link there. Um, but besides, besides nitrogen dioxide, there's plenty of other pollutants coming from the stove. Um, there was another paper from Harvard last year that looked at what else is coming out of the gas stove. And they found 21 hazardous pollutants that they could find when they surveyed about 69 different kitchens in the Boston area. And um, they found benzene, for example, to be present in people's kitchens. Um, so a lot of this comes down, it, it, it gets more complicated when we're talking about what is a dangerous level, what is the concentration to worry about. That is can vary wildly depending on is your, is your gas stove leaking when it's off? Is um, your home properly ventilated? But um, yeah, the ones there is plenty to be concerned about. And I think one thing I want to get across to people is if you have gas, to at least think about ventilation of the space. Got it. So you're saying if you're using a gas stove, maybe open your window while you're cooking and maybe after? Yeah, there's um, basically when I talk to scientists and doctors on this, they recommend just anything you can do that increases airflow, 
if you are using gas, um, especially if someone in the home is vulnerable, that can include the elderly, children, someone with a pre-existing condition. And um, you can open a window. If you have a range hood that actually like takes the dirty air and vents it outside, turn it on because not everyone turns it on. Um, if you have a fan, sometimes that actually isn't venting that air outside. It's just recirculating it, but it can help somewhat. Um, there's there's different levels of interventions that people can take. Um, some are simple and don't cost any money. More effective ones might cost some money, and we can talk a bit more about that, but um, there are ways to do this at a lower cost. Yeah, so I wanted to ask you about well, I want to talk about electrification a little bit later, but um, my understanding from some of your reporting is that also the industry is looking to build more pipelines directly that would go directly to buildings. And my understanding is that this would mean we'd be relying on fossil fuels for much longer because we have the infrastructure sort of built into our cities and communities. Yeah, I think a lot of this... Um Controversy has gotten really caught up over what are we doing right now. Um, so obviously, I think there's been a lot of talk of a ban while a ban isn't happening on new appliances or existing <laughs> appliances. But what people should remember about this is we're talking about a longer timeline where buildings that are constructed now, if they are hooked up on gas, that means they are probably still running on gas in 2050, even further out. So we're talking about decades of ensuring our reliance on these fossil fuels. On the other hand, if you're electrifying something, a new building today, then right now, some of that electricity is probably coming from fossil fuels, whether that's coal or gas, but renewables are gaining ground on the grid And it's much more likely if you hook that up to electricity today that by 2050, that electricity is coming from wind or solar. But if you have that gas pipeline, it's still running on gas in 2050. So we're talking about further out timelines, but the reason it's important to to address this now is infrastructure moves really slowly. So (laughs) if we're building a lot now that is not getting electrified, we are just locking ourselves into this future of more methane emissions. Um, And we are building a lot right now. The Inflation Reduction Act and infrastructure laws combined put a lot of money into building new buildings, new construction. And we do have a choice to make here. So um, I want both to caution that there... There isn't any reason to be alarmed if you do like your stove (laughs) and want to keep using it. But at the same time, we are facing a dwindling timeline to make these decisions for our climate future. So in your research, you found that electrification of homes probably is a strong solution to the climate crisis, or at least one tool in our toolkit. Yeah, so buildings contribute in the U.S. um, directly about 12% of our greenhouse gas emissions, which um, might not sound like a lot, but as we clean up areas like the power sector and hopefully transportation, buildings are going to be a greater share of that bucket of our pollution. And it's one of the most stubborn areas 
to address for the reasons I talked about why infrastructure moves so slowly. So um, buildings are part of this equation when we're talking about transitioning to renewables. And it's one of the most challenging ones because you're talking about millions of people's homes that we have to look at here. All of this requires money. And um, it is an especially challenging transition to make for climate change. So does it seem more likely that big cities with a lot of existing uh, gas infrastructure will be harder to electrify than other areas? Or does it seem like all across the board, this is going to be a pretty tough challenge? Um, yeah, it's hard to generalize. But one thing that it, I think is good to point out here is um, for some reason, our, our cities in um some major cities in blue states are very gas-reliant. So these happen to be states that are taking action on climate change. California and New York are top of the list for gas-reliant states. And these are states that are also actively looking at solutions that they can take to support electrification. So when Republicans have kind of raised alarm that you can pry the gas stove out of my my cold dead hands. Um, some of these Republicans are coming from states that actually don't really run on gas for their cooking. So um, that's like that's one piece. It, it is an enormous challenge and the gas industry itself is putting up quite a fight. But blue states have been showing some leadership here. Um, this is something they've they've only been inching along on, and I think the next few years will really be key for seeing how aggressive they get with these goals. Because right now we're only talking about a fraction of new construction, and we'll see if there are any additional incentives for helping transition existing buildings as well. Um, there's also the Inflation Reduction Act, which is going to be offering all kinds of incentives to help consumers electrify their homes. And some of that will include helping electrify their kitchens. So that's really early stages, but I do think that federal support could really speed up this transition. What would you say people are misunderstanding about what's happening in politics with regard to the gas stove conversation? Uh, yeah, um, there's a lot of misinformation right now. Um, one I would just start out with that there is no ban on the gas stove. That that word has been thrown out quite a bit. Um, but the Consumer Product Safety Commission has already taken a ban off the table. I would argue there was never actually a ban on the table. And there are plenty of other types of regulations they can do that will either um, improve ventilation or at least make the public more aware about the risks of the gas stove. Um, so, so that's one, I think, that's been really blown out of proportion, largely on the right, that this is Biden coming into your home, taking away the gas stove. Um, I'd also like to point out that the Consumer Product Safety Commission actually is not directed by Biden Unlike the EPA, which actually does send regulations through to the White House, that agency is is completely independent from the White House. Um, for there's plenty of other myths here. I think one that um, is the the biggest pushback <laughs> from all kinds of consumers and cooks is that 
the gas stove just cooks better. It's it's better um, than electric by a long shot. I like to challenge that just because I think most people are comparing a dated technology, the electric coils of the 70s and 60s that no one I've ever talked to seems to like. They, they cook very unevenly. A lot of people compare that to the gas stove and say, well, the gas stove is clearly better. But the modern equivalent is actually induction, which uses um, is basically conducting energy into the pan rather than heating up the stove that heats up the pan. So you are cooking a pan that is getting hot, but if you actually touch the glass stovetop, that isn't going to burn you. Or sorry, don't try that at home maybe, but I have heard <laughs> that it, it's definitely not getting as hot as that traditional electric stove. Um, so I've talked to lots of professional chefs who are already making this transition to induction. And here are rave reviews. I think a lot of this can be a matter of personal preference, but people, once they try induction, I've just heard raving reviews about its precision, that it is actually faster at boiling water than gas. Um, there are other benefits like less likely to burn yourself. Um, you don't have all of those pollutants, of course, to worry about that comes with the gas stove. So there's a lot of pros and cons here to transitioning to induction. And um, I think as much as it's cemented in our our current like cooking fashionable <laughs> world that gas should be dominant, I think that is shifting pretty quickly as induction becomes more popular in the U.S., which you know, other countries, it's already quite popular. It's just the U.S. has been slow to catch up. For people who are listening to this or who have, you know, gotten wind of how harmful gas stoves can be and, you know, they want to do something about it, what is your piece of advice for folks who want to transition into a less gas-reliant future? Yeah, there's a lot you can do. And I would, um, I try to break this out a little bit for people at different income levels, based on what they can do. And also homeowners and renters, <laughs> a lot of this can conflate these categories. Um, if you are, if you're a homeowner and you um, are already thinking about replacing appliances or some kind of renovation, then there's a lot of options. Um, there is lots of induction ranges on the market at various price points. And the Inflation Reduction Act um, it's hard to lay it out all here because there's lots of different requirements, but there are going to be rebates and there are already tax breaks that might apply to lower that cost of a renovation. And not just to buy an induction range, but if you need to do other kinds of upgrades to your home, like getting a bigger um, capacity electric panel or wiring or insulation, there's all kinds of incentives in that law that could help people. Um, there's also lots of things you can do if you're not ready for a renovation. You might want to try something out or you're a renter and you're pretty limited in your options. Um, one option that I am, my resolution is to buy for my own apartment, <laughs> which I rent in, is getting those plug-in induction stovetops. It's kind of, it's a little bit like a hot plate, but you can buy different sizes. Some people actually just set it right over their stove 
and you just plug it into an outlet and there you have induction. So that's one way you can electrify your kitchen. These can run on well under $100 too. So it's pretty approachable as a solution here. Um, there's lots of other things you can do if you run on gas in other ways in your home. Because if you have a gas stove, you might have other gas appliances like some people still have gas-powered dryers, um, or they. what's more common is gas furnaces and boilers. Um, if you have a high gas bill every month that you're paying to your gas utility, then the boiler and furnace is actually where most of that cost is coming from. So looking into other alternatives like heat pumps can really save money in the long term because they work much more energy efficiently. Um, and if you are stuck with gas and none of these options really even sound remotely approachable right now, um, like we talked about, there are things you can do to at least improve ventilation in your space if you're worried about the health effects. Of course, that's not really helping on a climate perspective, but you can do things to reduce that risk even while you're planning maybe a longer-term timeline of transitioning to electricity. Thank you. And I guess, I suppose, one last effort that people can make in their communities, even if they're renters especially, is just pushing for their policymakers to, you know, make a, make a simpler path toward electrification of their communities. Yeah, completely. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, I do, I agree. I think people, um, we aren't just consumers. We should be thinking about our roles as community members and citizens. And there's lots of ways you can push for electrification that isn't just inside your home. And there are already a lot of community fights. I'm aware of one in Washington, D.C. with um, climate activists locally trying to push for electrification efforts. So I would um, encourage people to check where they live, what's already happening that they can link up to. But I've actually heard people doing this successfully. And that's kind of next for a story I want to report out is looking at what renters can do here. And um, I've heard some really uplifting examples of renters approaching their landlord with this wealth of data and managing to convince them to go electric or at least improve ventilation in their space. So, um, I think it's really powerful. I, I would not discount, even if you aren't a homeowner, what you can do here. Absolutely. Is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you think is really interesting or worth noting on this topic? Yeah, I, I think thinking about this um, beyond the, the personal health level and thinking about gas in buildings is a contributor to climate change. This is Bigger than the gas stove, it's not only about the gas stove, because I think we, um, we should remember that these more invisible parts of our homes, like, for example, a boiler, is um, actually contributing a fair bit of pollution to our communities, even if it's not inside our homes. So gas is a very long network of pipelines and systems that leak out methane at any point in the process from upstream production down to the stove in your kitchen. So um, I, do, I do encourage people to think about this 
more holistically than just the stove and whether or not to ditch it. Um, because like you pointed out, there's a lot more that can be done beyond just using your stove less. And there's a lot more that people are doing in their communities to influence this outcome. Rebecca, thank you so much for all your insights. We're going to be sure to look out for your reporting, and I'll be sure to link to a couple of the stories that you mentioned uh, that you've already written in our episode description as well. Uh, Yeah, I really appreciate all your insights here. Yeah, thanks. The Food Futures podcast is a production from Mold Magazine. My name is Ludwig Hurtado. This episode was edited and mixed by Cole Brosis. Isabel Ling is Mold Magazine's associate editor. Lin Yi Yuan is Mold Magazine's editor-in-chief. Thank you for listening.